This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. When you think pipeline, what comes to mind? Probably oil or natural gas, right? Well, more companies are now working on pipelines to transport carbon dioxide long distances so it can be stored underground. And a lot of the latest action is in the Midwest and Plains. States like South Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa have fertilizer and ethanol plants where CO2 is a byproduct. One proposed project, the Navigator CO2 Pipeline, would send liquefied carbon dioxide from those states to west-central Illinois. That's because deep below the Earth's surface in that area of the state, you'll find sandstone. Supporters of carbon capture technology say the porous rock is the perfect place to store CO2 so it doesn't need to be released into the atmosphere where it could increase global warming. Now, later in the program, we're going to hear from an Illinois ecologist, a farmer and a homeowner who aren't buying it and don't want the Navigator pipeline cutting through their land. But first up, we are joined by Chicago Tribune clean energy and environment reporter Nara Schoenberg. She's been writing all about this. Welcome to Reset, Nara. Hi, thanks for having me. So I, I want to first walk through the basics of how this technology works. What is being proposed here is one version of so-called carbon capture. So tell us more about how this carbon dioxide is being created and why some want to send it here to Illinois. Right. So carbon capture, in theory at least, I think everyone agrees is a great idea. You're taking carbon dioxide that warms the planet, and instead of releasing it into the air from a, often a industrial plant or a power plant, you're capturing it and compressing it and liquefying it and putting it underground where it can't warm the atmosphere. Um, so that that's the basic concept. Okay. And we're talking about pipelines that would do that through our region. What is it about the geology of our state, specifically it's sandstone that is getting proponents of the technology so excited? Yeah, sandstone is a really good medium for storing carbon dioxide. Um, the two words are porous and permeable, and porous means it has space to hold the carbon dioxide when it's injected deep underground, and permeable means the carbon dioxide can travel through the rock and cover a large area, so you can store a lot of the carbon dioxide. You write that the Navigator CO2 pipeline could bring millions of tons of carbon dioxide to our state. Now, if it were to be pumped down into the ground, what happens to it? Does it just sit there forever? That That's the hope, or at least for 5,000 years, so for a very long time. Um, there is some concern that it might leak, which could potentially contaminate drinking water uh, or release harmful gases into the air that people would then breathe. Hmm. Who's behind this specific pipeline proposal? Uh, this is Navigator CO2. They're uh, Omaha-based. And they're one of two companies that's proposing a big carbon dioxide pipeline in Illinois. Um, and uh, they've just made, you know, their proposal. It's not it's not underway yet, but uh, they're trying to get easements to land so they can run their pipelines under people's land. Do they have anything to say about the safety and, and feasibility of the project? Yeah, they, they say that they're, um, they've learned a lot of lessons from the industry, and this will be a state-of-the-art pipeline, as safe as it can possibly be, and that carbon 
dioxide has already been stored underground in Decatur, Illinois, which is true, not as big an amount as they're talking about, and not yet for as long a time, but there is a precedent there. But I understand the the company is also seeking an expedited permit from the Army Corps of Engineers, trying to fast track the project, essentially. What's going on with that? Well, they, they have started the process of trying to get a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers, and the Corps looks at waterways and um, whether it's okay for the environment and other factors to have this project crossing waterways. So they the Navigator has applied under the nationwide permit system, which is kind of fast-tracked, and that helps businesses get things done in a way that makes sense for them economically. But environmentalists say this really isn't the right place for the fast track system because this pipeline is so big, because in a lot of ways we're in uncharted territory. Uh, we should have the fullest possible look at the pipeline from the core as well as from other people. So they're environmentalists who say, um, let's not do this mm-hmm. as a fast track permit. Let's do this as a regular permit. So what's the current status of the Navigator CO2 pipeline? Right now, um, the the Corps still hasn't decided whether they'll consider the pipeline under the fast track permit or under the slower permit. And there are also other hurdles that Navigator has to get over. One of them would be the Illinois Commerce Commission would have to approve this project and so far, that has been a pretty comprehensive process. And another hurdle is that they have to get easements to the land that people are, you know, now own that the pipeline would go under. And they have gotten some resistance there. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about a proposed pipeline that would cut through parts of Illinois, not an oil pipeline or one for gas. No, this one would carry liquefied carbon dioxide. Companies want to store the CO2 deep underground in Illinois, where sandstone could serve as a kind of Tupperware for the gas, keeping it secure so that it won't make global warming even worse. And we are talking with Nara Schoenberg from the Chicago Tribune. Remind us, Nara, how did we learn about this story in the first place a few months ago? This has been going on for a while. Actually, Navigator started trying to get land, easements to land, I think in December of 2021. But environmentalists really ramped up their uh, their opposition more recently. And that's how a lot of people heard about it, including the Tribune. There are around 5,000 miles of carbon dioxide pipelines in the U.S. right now. You report that we are expected to see that number grow exponentially in the coming years. How so? And why? Well, according to a lot of projections, we can't get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 without carbon capture. So there, you know, there's some debate on that, but I think that's the mainstream view. And then the question is, what do we do with that carbon once we get it? Because it's not enough to capture it. You need to keep it out of the atmosphere. So the the obvious answer at this point would be to store it underground. Mm-hmm. And you need pipelines to get 
from the various industrial facilities to these underground storage sites. Not every area is uh, suitable for underground storage. So you get projections like the Princeton Net Zero study that we'd have a really big array of pipelines in the United States by about 2050. Yeah. Um, Princeton says maybe up to 69,000 miles, and that's up from 5,000 today. Wow. That's a, that's a big jump. If this pipeline does come to pass, Nara, how much carbon dioxide could it keep out of the atmosphere? This pipeline um, has a capacity to capture 15 million metric tons per year. Help, help us wrap going. our mind around that. How much is that? That's that's a lot of carbon dioxide. Yeah, that's sounds the equivalent like it. <laughs> of taking 3.2 million cars off the road. So okay. it's it's definitely a lot of carbon dioxide, and they would be doing that each year for a number of years. Wow, uh, you know th- this project's got his its opponents, as we've talked about. But this could be a big money maker for Illinois, right? Yes, and particularly for the plants that are getting the carbon dioxide and giving it to the pipeline, um, they're actually they're they're federal tax incentives that could bring these plants, depending on how things go, more than a billion dollars a year as a group, and then they would pay Navigator to store the carbon dioxide. So we're talking a lot of government money. We're talking mm-hmm. maybe you know, a billion dollars a year in just in tax incentives, just in federal tax incentives, just for Navigator. So there's a there's an economic impact for the pipeline and the underground storage. Yes. Yes. And there there would be jobs. I haven't at this point calculated how many and there obviously would be, you know, some economic benefits to having this in our area. Um haven't looked too closely at that either, but definitely yeah. economic benefits. Yeah, consulting firm Industrial Economics put out a, a hypothetical scenario with five Illinois carbon capture facilities uh, employing on average 480 people in a given year. So mm-hmm. uh, give us next steps in the process for the Navigator pipeline. Uh, well, Navigator has to clear the hurdle with the Illinois Commerce Commission. Um, it's uh, got to go through the Army Corps process, which could take 60 days, but the clock hasn't started ticking on that yet. And um, it has to clarify in Illinois what its rights are. It wants eminent domain. It wants the right to take land from people along the pipeline if they, if necessary, and they're there are different things that would have to happen, but potentially take the right to run pipelines through people's land without their consent, but with proper compensation. So um, they have a lot ahead of them. The Chicago Tribune clean energy and environment reporter, Nara Schoenberg. Thank you so much, Nara. Thank you. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're continuing our conversation about proposed CO2 pipelines in the Midwest and specifically here in Illinois. Before the break, we talked to a Tribune reporter about why companies are eyeing Illinois as an ideal site for these pipelines and how they could help keep carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. 
Now we're going to turn to residents who aren't buying what the pipeline companies are selling. Joining us now is Lan Richard. He's the co-director of the environmental group EcoJustice Collaborative. Hi, Lan. Good afternoon, Sasha. Also with us is Kathy Campbell. She's the vice president of Citizens Against Heartland Greenway Pipeline. She's also a homeowner near the proposed site of the pipeline. Hi, Kathy. Hi. And rounding out our panel is John Feltham, president of the Citizens Against Heartland Greenway Pipeline and a farmer in Knox County. Welcome to Reset, John. Thank you. Hello. So we're going to get into the land and environmental aspects in just a bit, but let's focus on health first. So I'm going to turn to you, Kathy, because your your home is in Glenarm, Illinois, in Sangamon County, uh, near where Navigator wants to put the CO2 pipeline. Now, I know that you also have a background in medical research and immunology. So when you first heard about this proposed pipeline, some alarm bells went off, right? Oh, very much so. When I got my packet in the mail, I I had no idea it was coming, and it just made me a little sick, actually. Uh, Carbon dioxide is is an asphyxiant at high levels, and they're running almost pure carbon dioxide in this pipeline, 98%. And as such, it displaces all oxygen, so cars can't run, people can't breathe. uh, And at the distances they're putting it, uh, so close to housing, that uh, we'd be overwhelmed within five minutes at, day, at, at CO2 concentration levels that the Center for Disease Control has listed as immediately dangerous to uh, life and health. Mm. In Satarsia, Mississippi, in 2020, they did have a rupture. And if anything, our rupture volume here uh, could be higher uh, along the trunk line. And in that, everybody within a mile to a mile and a quarter was hospitalized. People had seizures. They foamed at the mouth. Uh, EMS tried to rescue them. Their cars stalled. EMS workers were literally trying to crawl to people to get at them, and then they collapsed. They were hospitalized. Uh, And 200 to 300 people were evacuated. So here, where I live, and along uh, the entire pipeline in Illinois, their aspirational setback levels are five times closer than in Satarsia. And of course, the closer you are to the rupture, the greater the concentration of CO2. So we know that this is extremely dangerous. So what uh, they try to talk about at navigators, they say, oh, we'll just make sure a rupture never happens. Nobody can guarantee that. That's like saying you're not going to wear your seatbelt in your car because you're just going to make sure you're never in a car accident. Right. Uh, so I'm sure that they will try to prevent a rupture. It's in their best interest to prevent it, but pipelines are true all the time. And this will be the largest, most complicated CO2 pipeline in the world, and this and their team has never, ever installed one before. Len, you hear uh, Kathy talking there about, uh, you know, the worst-case scenario um, back in, in, in Mississippi in, in 2020. What else is on your mind when you think about the effects that could happen here in our case? Well, there are a whole host of impacts that are associated with uh, potentially with, with pipelines, and, it, and certainly safety is one of the, the, the top ones. Uh, there are many, many farmers who are opposed to this also because of the impact it has on their land. Uh, they're resistant to the use of eminent domain. This is a private project. This is not a federal project. This is a private project that is subsidized by tax credits. 
Um, you've got lower property values, damage to drainage tiles, uh, cost to counties for emergency training. The rural counties aren't prepared to deal with, or be prepared to deal with a, uh, any kind of safety issue like that. Uh, and then what happens long-term? Liability. Who, who deals with these? Uh, Navigator says they're going to be around for 50 years plus. Well, there aren't many corporations that are, and uh, liability is one of those first things you want to get rid of if you're, right. uh, you're a company. So uh, there are a lot of reasons. Um, these Lan, I'm going to ask you yeah, to put oh, a pin in that thought for a moment. I, I want to get your phone line fixed so that we can hear you more clearly. In the meantime, I will turn to you, John. You own a farm in Knox County, 220 acres that have been in your family for about 100 years, I hear. And the company navigators actually eyeing your land to lay down this pipeline. So your thoughts, what exactly do they want to do? Well, uh, in my case, uh, I'm on what's called the Galva lateral of the pipeline, which is connected to what is the only known Illinois customer of Navigator, an ethanol plant located on the outskirts of Galva, Illinois, in Henry County. And where that pipeline wants to cross our farm, it would cover just over 3,645 feet of our ground. It would go through two of our pasture fences, and of particular concern to me, it would go down a 14% slope into the Spoon River Valley. We are on the edge of the river valley, and it would cut through multiple terraces, drain tile, a grass waterway that overlies two parallel tiles that discharge through a concrete outflow structure, and then cross one of our most productive fields and cut through another drain tile. Mm. And once drain tile is cut uh, and the soil underneath it is disturbed, no matter how good the repair done to that tile, it's never the same. The soil will settle unevenly. It will create low spots on the tile. The tile won't run properly with those low spots. And the entire piece of ground that the drainage system services will be permanently damaged. And so, John, John, could building the pipeline affect how you farm the soil and, and the crops? It can. Um, if you go to the uh, NoIllinoisCO2Pipelines.org no website, you can see some aerial photos that were taken in Schuyler County, Illinois, 10 years after a pipeline was run through there. And from the air, you can see the damage to crops in the form of plants that uh, mature prematurely before the uh, ears on the corn stalks have fully developed, and they appear as a brown streak across the field. That's 10 years down the road after the pipeline is constructed. And that yield loss on the ground disturbed by the pipeline is essentially permanent. Mm. What, what crops do you farm? Uh, we uh, grow corn and soybeans. Okay. So you, you talked to our previous guest, uh, who is uh, Trib reporter Nara Schoenberg. You compared the company seeking to build the pipeline on your land as a, quote, a home invasion. So tell yeah. us a bit more about that. What are your rights as a landowner here? Well, what, what particularly offends me um, is the concept of eminent domain. Um, 
I am not only a farmer, I'm a retired Marine Corps judge advocate. Uh, I'm licensed to practice law in Texas, and I'm a member of the uh, bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. And what I find particularly offensive is that this pipeline company is invoking an Illinois statute called the Carbon Dioxide Transportation and Sequestration Act. That gives carbon dioxide pipelines a special treatment that would not be afforded to an oil or gas pipeline. An oil or gas pipeline would have to demonstrate a public need to the Illinois Commerce Commission in order to get approval to construct it. Because of the Carbon Dioxide Transportation and Sequestration Act, which declares carbon dioxide pipelines to be in the public interest, Navigator does not have to make that showing of a public need. It just has to meet what I call a punch list in the statute. And because of that, that statute deprives landowners, in my opinion, of the equal protection of the law because they cannot force Navigator to demonstrate a need for that pipeline. And back when I went to law school, that would be called an equal protection 14th Amendment violation. And I am uh, ready to litigate that to the Supreme Court of the United States if necessary. Kathy, I want to bring you back in as a homeowner near the proposed corridor for the pipeline. Do you share some of John's concerns? Like, what are you hearing from other neighbors of yours? Absolutely. Oh, our our neighbors are upset. We, uh, Sangamon County Courthouse on Monday night was absolutely packed with opposition. We filled it with uh, landowners and uh, out there because people are outraged that this could be happening and their land could be taken by eminent domain. And the other thing is, now for me, at first they were going to go right through my land. Now they moved it a little bit, not enough to keep me safe. But since it's now moved off my land, I have no say whatsoever. If my neighbor signs an easement or if they take the neighbor's land through eminent domain and that thing ruptures, that plume will come over and asphyxiate us or put us certainly at very high risk of that. And we get zero say, zero compensation, nothing to do about that. Also, what do you think is going to happen to our property values? There are federally mandated large warning signs for CO2 pipelines. When people see that, they're not going to want to buy your house. That's a good point. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking about a controversial proposed pipeline that, if approved, would run underground, carrying liquefied carbon dioxide through west-central Illinois. But concerns run the gamut from property rights to environmental hazards to the risk to public health. Our guests are Lan Richard, Kathy Campbell, and John Feltham with the Stop the CO2 Pipeline Coalition. Len, we've talked here about the health concerns and and the land ownership side of things, but I do want to dig into the environmental issue with you. Because on one hand, taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and storing it away, that sounds like a good thing in the fight to to reduce greenhouse gases and and to fight climate change. But environmentally speaking, what's the downside here? Well, I think, um, first of all, we contend that this is really a fault solution for uh, climate change. Uh, when you take all of the emissions from ethanol plants across the nation each year, it constitutes less than 1% of our U.S. emissions. So this has essentially uh, been opened up uh, for the private sector to make a lot of money from tax credits. 
uh, I'd like to say it's more about capturing money than it is capturing carbon dioxide. Uh, the technology works on a limited basis for very pure streams of CO2 like ethanol plants, uh, but it has not been demonstrated on a large scale for anything larger than that and certainly industrial scale. And we're concerned that it's basically uh, because it's largely the fossil fuel industry who's implementing this, uh, that it is a way to uh, prolong the use of fossil fuels. And there are other ways that are proven uh, renewable energy, uh, biosequestration, there are a whole host of things that we think are better tracked. This is not a planned, a good planned uh, process, uh, and we don't think it's going to you know, significantly solve uh, the climate issue. Uh, the other thing is, is I did want to mention one of the initiatives we have right now, and one of the things that brought this to the attention of, of the Tribune is the Corps of Engineers permitting. And interestingly enough, uh, the permitting for these projects is very siloed, very limited. And because um, this is a privately funded project and not direct federally funded nor sponsored by a federal agency, it's not covered under the National Environmental Policy Act. And we think that because these projects are so large, these projects will be the longest ever built yeah. CO2 pipelines. We've never pumped this much CO2 into the ground. Uh, it's like 80 times more the projected just in Illinois, these two projects, the Wolf Carbon Solutions and Navigator, than, this, than uh, has ever been done. And we really believe that this project and others like it need an environmental impact analysis. Yeah. I, I want to get John back in here. Another concern that you have is time. Navigators looking to fast track the permit with the the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This expedited process would not require public input either. Is that fishy at all to you? Well, it certainly sounds suspicious to me. It would be like uh, analogous, I would say, to uh, trying to argue that the uh, transcontinental railroad built back in the uh, 19th century was not one big project, but about 2,000 separate projects that just all happened to be connected end-to-end. I I think the company, or Navigator, and in particular, is taking advantage of uh, a loophole here, um, trying to uh, minimize the scrutiny to which it's uh, subjected. I mean, the Pipeline companies in general um, are known for trying to fly below the radar and keep their activities uh, out of the public eye for as long as possible. And and one thing I'd like to add, I I was talking about my concerns as a farm owner. I am not alone. In Navigator's original filing at the Illinois Commerce Commission, it was wanting to cross 13 Illinois counties – And according to its own survey permission history, which it provided to the Illinois Commerce Commission, it needed easements across 978 tracts of Illinois land. And by its own admission, 13 months after its right-of-way agent first called me on the phone and after making over 8,500 landowner contacts, and extending 886 offers to landowners, Navigator was only able to execute easements on 63 
of the 978 wow. tracks it needed. Well, listen, we're, we're just about out of time. The, the Army Corps of Engineers hasn't decided yet whether or not it's going to approve this expedited process for the, the pipeline. Kathy, just 20 seconds here. In the meantime, what are your next steps? Oh, absolutely. We need to educate people about how unsafe these are and the fact that at ADM, they only have one mile of pipeline. That certainly doesn't prove safety. We'll leave it there for now. That's Kathy Campbell, Vice President of Citizens Against Heartland Greenway Pipeline, also a homeowner near the proposed site of the pipeline. Lan Richard, the co-director of the environmental group Eco Justice Collaborative, and John Felton, president of the Citizens Against Heartland Greenway Pipeline and a farmer in Knox County. Thank you all.